Welcome to the Encourage Project. I'm Amy Fairchild. And I am so happy you're here. You know, we are a couple of weeks into 2022. It just feels so weird to say that. Uh, This morning when I was journaling, (laughs) I actually cracked myself up. I thought about when I was in junior high, um, which I won't tell you exactly when that was. But I remember in junior high thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be so old in the year 2000. (laughs) And here we are in 2022. And I'm getting close to another birthday, you know, at the end of January. And, and what's weird is I feel younger and more vibrant and freer in so many ways than I have in a really long time. And so I just want to encourage you um, about aging. People talk about aging and anti-aging. I am not anti-aging. Um, I am all pro-aging beautifully. And I mean that in every sense of the word. There is absolutely nothing to be afraid of. Contrary to what society and the health and beauty industry tell you, there is nothing more incredible than aging beautifully. And when you think about it, and it's obvious, I mean, it's obvious, there's so many people who don't get the opportunity to do that. Um, It just makes it that much more valuable to me. Anyway, uh, I was talking with a friend after I did my reflection this morning, I was telling her about my junior high reflections. (laughs) She goes, you know, what's interesting. She goes, I just don't look at you at the age that you are. She goes, I think I always look at you as like you're in your mid thirties. And I'm like, well, thank you. And I appreciate you very much. It's probably one why you're one of my friends, but she said, you know, joking aside, what keeps you vibrant? And so I was thinking about that after I got the phone with her. And what's interesting is that I think what what I have observed in other people who have really um, taken to aging beautifully, people like my mother, as an example, you guys have have heard her on the show and and I talk about her a lot, my little mom. And I look at other people and I think there are a few things that I found, at least for me, that keep me vibrant and those around me. One of them is curiosity, just keeping an open, curious mind, not that you have to go out and learn a bunch of new stuff or or anything like that, but just curiosity keeps vibrance in a person's life. I think humor, obviously, um, and gratitude, so much gratitude. I know I talk about it a lot and it just keeping perspective through gratitude. And then I guess the last thing, you know, as I was thinking about it, in terms of keeping a vibrant spirit, as an example, is knowing, 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 knowing that I get to choose my attitude. I get to choose my vibe. I get to choose how I show up at any given moment. And for a long time, I didn't know I could choose. I was at the whim and mercy of a lot of people around me. And I allowed that to happen. And when I learned that I get to choose my attitude Um, and choose how I show up, man, I choose to show up optimistic and vibrant. And some people say I'm kind of kooky, but do I care? Not even a little bit. So anyway, (laughs) so there you go. That's my thoughts. So I thought I was going to be ancient if I even lived to the year 2022. And I'm here to tell you I'm not. So uh, let's talk a little bit about today's guest. You know, um, I often get asked about my weight loss journey about losing weight, about getting healthier and those kinds of things. And those are really common human projects with many of my clients. Many of my clients want to change their bodies in some way. Um, But what I have found in a lot of them is what they're really looking to do is change behaviors that affect how they feel about their bodies or how they feel about themselves as people. And often it is not really changing their bodies at all, but changing how they feel. And here's the thing. I just want to remind you that no matter your size, no matter your fitness level, no matter your current health situation, none of those things affect the fact that you are perfectly designed. You are worthy of all good things in this lifetime, love, happiness, fulfillment, all the things exactly as you are in this moment, period. And if you feel called to change some of those things, if you feel called to make changes to how you eat or make changes to your sleep or make changes to your body because you are curious to see what could be different, I think that's fantastic. And I celebrate that. And I know today's guest does too. So we're going to learn a little bit more about that. 
Jen Trepic, has been described as a force of nature in wellness. I got to tell you, that got me right there. (laughs) She is an optimal health coach. She is also a podcaster. We'll talk more about that. And also a business consultant. She attended um, school in Michigan. I'm a Razorback fan, so we won't talk about football. But anyway, um, and she founded Better Life Now while she was working full time in hedge funds. Now, just hedge funds makes me get all tense, but she did it. And I want to hear more about that. And after a decade of coaching clients, she started Salad with a Side of Fries, the podcast that she hosts, and really to to fulfill a need. You know, she wanted to pay it forward and reach a bigger audience to teach nutrition education, things that we're all supposed to know, but no one ever taught us. What does that sound like? Hello? Anyway. Uh, when she's not hunkered down um, during the pandemic, like the rest of us, she's typically working out and she loves to explore restaurants in New York City. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce the Encourage Project community to Jen Trepic. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. I'm excited <laughs> that you're here. I love your accent. Now, people will say, oh, I don't have an accent, but to me, you do. And I love it. So I can't wait. To <laughs> the best part is I don't even know what it is. I've lived in I've lived in New York for almost 17 years, but I grew up in Michigan, but I don't really have that Midwestern accent either. No, so I don't know. It is a hodgepodge. It's definitely not Southern. And my Southern accent will probably come out. So <laughs> I love it. But I do have to jump on something that you were saying before yeah. about this whole aging thing. And first of all, aging well is exactly what we're after. Yes. And a dear friend of mine and a colleague, um, we keep talking about how we have to stop fudging our age and really tell people it because this is what 40 looks like. This is what 50 looks like now. This is what 75 looks like now. Yes. Compared to what it we thought it was going to look like. Yes. That is it's so changing true. That definition. So and true. we can only do that if we start to tell everybody what so our real true. age is. Heck yeah. I'm not afraid to tell people I'm 53 years old. Yeah. You know, awesome. I'm and I love it when people <laughs> tell me that I look a different age, not because I want to look younger, but because I want people to see, like I said at the beginning, how I shine, you know? Yep. So, oh, I love that you said that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about you because I have all kinds of things I want to ask, but tell us a little <laughs> bit about you and then we'll dive into my questions. Yeah. So, I mean, you touched on some of my stories. So I grew up in Michigan. I did what we were all supposed to do. You know, I graduated. I went to a good college and, you know, we'll let the football stuff go. And <laughs> I moved to New York and got a job and was doing all the things. And I was so, I sort of had two worlds that collided. So on the one hand in my career, it was my first job out of undergrad. And first of all, not to sound arrogant or whatever, but I was overqualified for the job. And Mm -hmm. so I was bored. I was looking for something more and something else to do. and a couple other things happened. So one was somebody who was like, so I'm 21 at the, at that moment, the person who was like two levels above me, I want to say she was like 35 or 40 or something. And I remember calling home and I was like, if I am still at this job, two positions above where I am right now, and I'm turning 30, let alone, you know, whatever age she was, I was like, put me on a plane and send me home. Like, we're going to call it. This is done. You know? (laughs) Yep. So I was just like, I don't necessarily know what I want, but I know it's not this. Mm. Same thing happened again. We were planning our annual family vacation for the holidays at the end of the year. And I had to go into the computer system to request the time off. Mm -hmm. And it hit me like an anvil. I was like, I am requesting permission for access to my own time. Yes. And I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just know it's not this, (laughs) right? (laughs) So I was looking for things to do outside of my full-time job with the intention of just taking that money and investing it Mm -hmm. and then hopefully retire early, right? That it was sort of, 
everything I thought of to do in my spare time sounded miserable or just not actually feasible. Like when I was at Michigan, I was a writing tutor. So I was like, oh, I'll go to NYU and tutor kids. Mm -hmm. But how am I going to be up all night because somebody forgot they had a paper due and then I'm going to be at work at 8 a.m. bright eyed and bushy tail. Like, right. It just wasn't going to work. So at the same time as all of that, I had my whole like, I call it a saga of weight <laughs> management happening. Like, I feel like the word journey doesn't do it justice. Like, that's not the right word for this. So I grew up, I was a dancer growing up. Um, I sort of joke that I was the skinny one in a family of dieters. And then that went away. Mm, right. I, yeah. between high school and college, I wasn't dancing a hundred hours a week. I wasn't eating from home. It was, you know, when even I, I always ate healthfully, I always, you know, could find things at a restaurant, whatever, but it was like the first time where I was like, what's going on? You know? Yeah. So I was like, all right, well, I watched my family do this my whole life. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to do this diet and that'll work for a little while. And then I'll gain the weight back and then I'll do this diet. And that's exactly what I did. Like there isn't a diet out there that I haven't done. My family hasn't done, or we don't know somebody who's done it, you know? <laughs> yep. And so now fast forward, that roller coaster has been going on. Now I'm sitting at this job bored to tears, also have this weight stuff happening. And looking for something to do. And in that process, I learned about the program that I now teach. Mm -hmm. And at first I was like, no, that's okay. I've got my thing, <laughs> right? Like, you're not going to tell me something I don't know. And then this woman was telling her story. And by the way, like, I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're from. I don't know what your name is. Like, if you're listening, contact me. Mm -hmm. So this woman is telling her story of losing like 150 pounds. I heard nothing else after that. It was all like the teacher and Charlie Brown, right? Because like yep. I was in my own head staring at her because I couldn't see where 10 pounds could have been in her body, mm. let alone like she's telling me the equivalent of another human was attached to her. Yeah. And my brain was like, this does not compute. Like, I don't <laughs> understand. And I had a moment of like, Jennifer, you know, like this wasn't Jen. This was like, Jennifer, <laughs> get over yourself. Mm -hmm. Like this person knows something that you don't know because mm -hmm. she had also kept it off. It wasn't just, you know, losing the weight. So I worked with a coach. I followed the program, completely changed my life. Mm -hmm. Like the only thing that's allowed me to say I've kicked my food issues. Wow. And so it got me thinking like, why isn't this what we learned? And right. how did that stuff come to be? And I became like an insatiable student. I couldn't tell enough people. I couldn't read or learn enough. And I was like, this is the thing I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm going to do on the side and, you know, see what happens. So I built my business on the side for 12 years, mm -hmm. left my full-time job July of 2019, launched the podcast in August of that year. And 2022, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been crazy to say the least. Yeah. And and for those of you who may have heard it already, there is thunder happening in my world today. It's not your system. You're not hearing <laughs> things. There's massive thunderstorm going on. So I apologize, but you'll hear probably more. Um, so yeah, so you're now full-time in what your side gig was. And yep. you did your business and you started your podcast and all the things. What was it exactly that kind of, I mean, you met this woman who'd had a significant transformation, mm -hmm. but what was it in addition to that, that gave you the courage because weight management aside, yeah, totally going from applying your education, I'm putting that in air quotes, to in your hedge fund world career to something diametrically different is scary in and of itself. What was it that gave you the confidence, the, the guidance, the spirit to make that big of a change? Well, so it, it's interesting because at the moment it was passion and education 
Mm-hmm. And sort of that entrepreneurial spirit to say, I'm not going to work for somebody else for the rest of my life. Yeah. But in that moment, I wasn't making a massive change. That's the thing. Because mm. it was 12 years of doing this also. Right, right. So it wasn't this flip a switch, all of a sudden I'm over here mm-hmm. and there's no safety net. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's one of those things that happens to so many of us all the time is that we look at somebody else's result, like we look at their tip of the iceberg and we're comparing it to our own. I call it like their results to our process. Yes. Like we're in the weeds, we're in seaweed underwater, looking at the base of this iceberg. And we think that we're comparing that. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're equal comparisons and they're yes. not. And so the truth is in that moment, I actually didn't make a leap or a decision at all. I love that you said that. I love that that's the answer because I think so many people think it's all or nothing. If I'm going to do this new thing, I have to cut off ties with everything else. And you've just confirmed it doesn't have to be that way. Run things in parallel. Give yourself a safety net until it feels comfortable to make a significant change. I mean, I think there are, It depends on the person. Sure. Yes. To me, there are a few things less powerful than desperation. Yes. Totally agree with you. Totally. And if we do the jump to create the desperation that we think is going to create motivation. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Yes. I, I, I totally agree with you. I, I say all the time to clients, you know, it's easier to run to something than it is to run from something. It just is. Running to is energizing and curiosity driven and all the things. And the desperation run is fear-based. Who wants to live in a fear-based existence? Nobody that I and know. There are some people who are motivated by consequences more than sure. rewards, right? But that's also a different frame than fear. Yes. You know, from the desperation of like, if I don't do this, I'm not eating. Yes. And I think we hear those stories of like, you got to wake up at 4am, you got to do a workout, you got to take an ice bath, you got to meditate, you have to do all these things. And then by 7am, you're ready to start your day. And you're like, (laughs) no, no, I'm sorry. I'm just waking up. What? (laughs) You know, like, like there's a lot of people out there who are incredibly successful and there are a lot of things that they do, but that doesn't mean that that's the only formula either. Yes. Yes. I love that so much. So when we talk about formulas, let's, let's kind of go back to the whole weight management, health management journey thing, because so many people, particularly at the beginning of each year, a lot of people decide that's a great time to do the thing, whatever the thing is for them. Right. And people do it different ways. There are different ways to achieve an outcome. And you had a way that worked for you. And I'm, I'm, less, I'm less focused on the specific way today than some of the things that transcend all the ways a person can manage weight and, and wellness. And you and I talked a little bit before we started. One of the things that you had on your website that I really liked was that the people you surround yourself with can either positively or negatively affect that journey or that saga, as you said. You know, Jim Rohn is the one who is, a, who is credited with having said, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about how those five people, figuratively speaking, affect um, a health saga of sorts. Whether Yeah. Oh, you okay over there? One. We're good. That was a big one. Okay. Yeah, the lights flash. We're good. I'm like, what? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Um, gotta love mother nature. I know. (laughs) So it's interesting because I sort of talk about how to be a wellness ally Mm. and how to choose those people, right? So for each of us in some situations, we're the ally in some situations, we have to choose who those people are. Yeah. Right. And to decide who do you want to be? in your relationships. And there are sometimes things where people, everybody, I believe everybody is coming from a good place and everybody wants to be supportive, but they don't know how. Yes. So some people think they're being supportive when they say, 
you've been so good. You deserve this. Yes. Yes. Or I don't know how you do it. I could never do that. Mm-hmm. Or whatever it is. Everything they say, and we've all heard this before, but everything they say is about them, not about you. Yes. But it's really hard to interpret that, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So the question is, you know, if somebody in your life is working on these things and you notice it, right? Support their decisions. Your opinion was not asked for. Yeah. No offense. So, <laughs> so even if you want to compliment them, right? We compliment their energy. Mm. We compliment their effort. We compliment mm. how they're showing up. We mm-hmm. do not compliment the weight. We do not compliment their body. We do not compliment their food choice. We do not compliment the things that we think they're doing to get that result. We compliment, you know, how they're showing up in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, oh my God, you're glowing. Yes. That's really different than you look like you lost weight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Like those yes. are very different things and they create a different situation. And those are both also very different than, you know, you've been so good. You deserve this dessert. Yes, totally. And so how do you, you know, cause I've been on, I've been on both sides of that equation. I was yeah. on the trying with the best of intention and positive intent years and years and years ago till I learned better. You do better when you know better, right? Absolutely. As a person who's been on the receiving end of that, particularly since I've lost, you know, a hundred pounds and gained, for you. thank you. And gained, you know, 25 ish over COVID and I'm losing it again, whatever. Um, it's not really up for anyone's opinion, frankly. And I, I say that a lot, but how, how would you recommend someone respond to that and try and draw that boundary around totally this kind of feedback is acceptable for me. This kind of feedback is not so acceptable or helpful. How would you say that to someone? How would you do that? Yeah. So we actually decide who we're talking to about it and who we're not. Mm. So our process doesn't have to be everybody's knowledge, even if they're a great friend. Yes. So when I first started this saga of weight stuff, I lived with other people. Mm -hmm. I lived... I, you know, shared a dorms freshman year of college, an apartment sophomore year, a house junior and senior year where I lived with seven other people. Not one of them knew whatever plan I was on or what diet I was doing or what I was focused on. Mm -hmm. Because I'm watching my food enough. I don't need you watching my food too. Yes. Yes. So I had a handful of people that I did talk about it with Mm -hmm. where I did call them after a weigh-in and say, I feel really great or God, I'm so frustrated, Mm -hmm. right? So choosing who those people are very carefully. Mm -hmm. And that way you don't have to necessarily have crazy, uncomfortable conversations. Right. 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 And then when you're in the moment, it's like, you can decide how to deal with it. If somebody's pushing dessert, like, oh my God, I'm so full. I'm good. Thanks. Maybe in a minute. Mm -hmm. Or... It's, you know, I'm trying to think like, you know, we just had the holidays, right? So, Mm -hmm. oh, I made this. You have to try it. I had it already. It was awesome. You did an amazing job. Yeah. They don't know whether you did or didn't. (laughs) And they're looking for the accolade. Give them what they're looking for. You don't have to eat to give them what they're looking for. That's so true. Yeah. So it's a, it's a lot about choosing those things. And then sometimes there are some people, right, where we can't necessarily not have the conversation. Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, a client a couple of years ago, um, his partner grew up culturally eating dessert every single night. Mm. And culturally, sharing was really important. Mm. So one of the things we talked about was here's how to have a conversation about it. So, Hey, I love that you offer me your dessert every night. Mm -hmm. Like it makes me feel loved. I know you want to share it with me. It's really, you know, like I appreciate it at the same time. It makes me have to muster the courage to say no every single day at the end of the day when I'm exhausted. And Mm -hmm. that is so hard. Mm -hmm. So here's the deal. 
you don't have to ask me anymore. And I know that even when you're not asking me, you're asking me. Mm-hmm. And, and know that like, if I do want some, I'll ask you for, like, I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah. Love that. It's validating yes. what they're looking for in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And you're telling them what you want them to do because 90% of people think they're being helpful, think they're being supportive. They don't know what to do. So right. for example, again, going back to the holidays, you're traveling, maybe you're going home, right? Like mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, I went home with family and things have changed over the years, but there's also times where I've said, Hey, do you mind getting a couple things at the grocery store for me? Mm-hmm. Or even better when I get in town, is it possible for us to find an hour to stop by a grocery store? It doesn't yeah. even have to be that long, but whatever, you know what I mean? Right. And take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be their job to make sure you have what you need. Right. Right. And to let them know what you do need. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what I need after this dinner? We got to give away as many leftovers as possible. Can we make that a family effort? Yeah, <laughs> right. Totally. Let's put the takeout containers on the counter with the food so that everybody here knows it is the expectation that they're taking stuff home. Yeah. I love what you said about, you know, telling people what you expect. I think, I think even with people that we enlist support from, we somehow expect them to know that, Hey, if I've, if I've told you that I'm, I'm watching my food a certain way, you should just know how to support me. That's well, not they true. Think, yeah. Right. They think that them watching their food, watching your food is supporting you. Yeah. It's not. Yes. Like my mom and, and she and I've had this conversation, so I'm not speaking out of out of turn, <laughs> but my mom used to ask me, can you eat that? And I would get oh, so frustrated. I'm like, I can eat whatever the hell I want to eat. I just choose. And so when I finally sat down with her and had a very explicit conversation, say, Hey mom, here are the things that I'm doing that make me feel good. And here's how you can support me in feeling good. And I would, I was very specific with her. Don't there you ask, go. Don't ask me whether I can or can't, because technically I can eat whatever the hell I want to eat. I choose to eat lean meats and fruits and vegetables and healthy fats right now, because that makes me feel good. I appreciate that. What you really intend to ask me is how can I support you by suggesting a restaurant that is easier for you to navigate? If that's what you intend, it would help me for you to say that and not say, can you eat that? And she's like, oh, that makes perfect sense. But she didn't right. know because I hadn't told her explicitly how to support me. So I love that you talked about right. that. And um, I would say too, let's create some activities in the friendship that have nothing to do with food. Yes. Right. And that's one thing that happens too through, again, I hate this word journey, but like through a wellness journey, if mm-hmm. you are going somewhere to exercise or you are going somewhere or you're doing this with other people, it creates new friendships, a new community where that's sort of the underlying expectation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. And I love what's interesting too, is that people I have found make assumptions based on behavior. So I'm not a big yes. drinker of alcohol. I just never, ha- well, when I was young and I had too much, I think that was when I did all my drinking for my lifetime. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> I think I did it then, but that was a different phase of my life. I'm just not a big alcohol drinker. And it's not that I have a judgment around it or anything. I just don't drink very much. Yeah. And um, people will say, well, why aren't you drinking? Well, cause I don't want alcohol <laughs> and, and people feel uncomfortable standing up for the things that they choose. And I don't know why we feel obligated necessarily to go on these big descriptions with folks, but what are a couple of phrases or in your experience that have worked that are very simple other than the obvious, I just choose not to, that you can recommend to folks or offer to folks um, who perhaps struggle with that constant, incessant questioning of what they're doing. So yeah, the first piece is don't tell people what you're doing unless there's someone who's not going to ask those questions. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And if they say, oh, how come you're not eating that? I don't know. Just don't feel like it. Yeah. Or my favorite one, my doctor thinks I might be allergic. Oh, I like that. No one is going to be like, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) They're not. They're not. You're right. They won't. Like, really prove it here. Try some. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> no. Yeah. Or be like, you know what? Every time I eat that, I feel disgusting. So I figured I wouldn't ruin our plans. Yeah. I love that one. I tell people that right? with pasta because pasta really does make me feel horrible. Oh, I'm not a pasta person at all. And I'm I like, have to, that like, makes me feel bad. <laughs> yeah. I got to really want pasta and I'll probably eat it from two places. Mm-hmm. And then I suffer for days afterwards. And I'm like, yeah, I just don't want to eat it. It makes me feel bad. So those are great. And then if your family is like mine, and I think a lot of families are like this, food is love. I hear that oh, yeah. all the time, you know, and, and I think you said a couple of things that were really helpful, but you know, if you decline eating something and it is people thinking that they're showing you love by fixing your favorite food. And I put that in air quotes, right? Mm-hmm. When I lived away from my mom, when I would come home for the holidays, Oh, I'm making such and such. Cause I know it's your favorite. Okay. <laughs> Until I yeah. got to where I could say, you know what, mom, it's really great. I'm just so excited to come spend time with you. You know? Well, here's the other thing, right? Like if it's your favorite, F and eat it. True. Right. Totally so true. here's the other thing is that the question becomes, how much do I have to have to feel like I had it? Yes. How much do I have to have to feel like I had it? Thanksgiving, I always have this conversation. So like, do you have to eat half a pumpkin pie to feel like you had pumpkin pie? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. But yeah. also a sliver may not cut it. Mm-hmm. But like, if you're going to walk away from this moment and be thinking about that thing, mm-hmm. we did not do ourselves a service by not having it. Yeah. Right. We turned something that was like, a little anthill into Mount Everest. Yeah. Not necessary. So the other thing I teach people all the time is what I call the three bite rule. Mm -hmm. So this actually goes back to neuroscience. So what, what they found is that the only bites we actually taste. Mm -hmm. So the only bites where we're fully present are the first, the second, and the last. Wow. So those are the only ones that we actually taste. Maybe they're the only ones we actually need. Right. So eat your favorite food, eat your favorite dessert, take the mac and cheese, take the pumpkin pie, take all the three bites, call it a day. Somebody's really pushing the food on you, three bites, call it a day. It's the, you know, dessert that's being passed around the table that now you can't participate in conversation because out of the corner of your eye, you're like following the dessert around the table. (laughs) Eat the three bites, Mm -hmm. right? I say that because, you know, I know. I've been there. Right. <laughs> well, and it's so true. It, it I have found for myself, I will obsess about that thing forever. Like there was a mm-hmm. one of the many bajillion diets I did was no sugar, no flour. And I went through a Thanksgiving and a Christmas. No sugar, no flour. Do you know what I was thinking about for six months after that holiday season? Oh, I know exactly. All yeah. freaking day. And then when I finally let myself have that. I went berserk. Oh, it's like Tasmanian devil. Like get out of totally, the way. I'm spinning through. Totally. Now I'm not a person who's definitely good with moderation, but I am good with, you know what? I'm looking forward to my mom's homemade chicken and noodles. I'm going to have that. And then I'm going to love it. And then I'm going to be like, okay, I'm good till next year when she makes it again. Right. Cause look, we didn't get to where we are from yeah. one meal. Oh, totally. Totally. Right? The other side of it is, and I say this all the time, like, and you sort of mentioned this at the beginning, right? That it's not always about a number on the scale or whatever, Mm -hmm. which is also a terrible measurement, but we'll get to that in a second. (laughs) But like, it's, if you're living your life and you're happy at the number Mm -hmm. or you're happy with, you know, whatever else, but there's this constant dialogue in the back of your mind. Yes. I would argue we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. I would totally agree with you. Totally agree with you because I have done both yeah. for the vast majority of my life. I had the voice in the back of my head, nitpicking everything that I did because I wasn't doing it well enough. I, I hadn't, didn't have enough of that. I hadn't had it in six months. Let's eat it. Da, 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 da. And it's only literally been for me personally within the last year and a half. I don't have that voice anymore. And there's lots of reasons why that's happened. One of which is I don't beat myself up over food any longer. Mm -hmm. I have found ways that work for me to have some and feel good and not obsess about it. And those ways are different for everyone. Like we just talked about, 
but it is so incredibly freeing to not have the insidious voice in the back of my head all the time, you know, talking to me about, did you have that? Did you have that? Should you have had that? No, you probably shouldn't. You want to have it again? Cause you might not have it forever. Well, and, and as we progress, that voice might sound like you could have that, but you should work out more. Yes. Or what am I going to eat for the next meal? If I'm eating this right now, right. Or all of like any dialogue, right. If it yes. is constant, we've got more work to do. Yes. Totally agree with you. That we could do an entire episode on. A thousand percent. Uh, Probably. Totally. It's own podcast altogether. (laughs) (laughs) And we could have voices for each of the different kinds of things that it talks about. Um, We need actors for that one, though. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It'll be so fun. And character. Anyway. um, So I do want to shift gears just a little bit because you just mentioned it. How we measure success. And, And often is measured numerically, whether that be pant size, dress size, shirt size, number on the scale. How can a person, because I'm big on measurement coming from my background and yep. people know that they listen to the podcast. I talk about measuring. You cannot measure, measure monitor, adjust and control. Exactly. You cannot yep. manage what you do not measure. It's plain and simple. You cannot. So if a person is not comfortable with numbers, in terms of how they measure success. What are some ways, other ways, a person could measure their progress on a health saga of sorts? Yeah. So it's interesting. Numbers make it easy. So I'm not going to say it's not numbers. It's about what numbers. Mm, Yep. And generally, when we have resistance to numbers, it's not numbers that we have a resistance to. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. So first of all, the number on the scale is the worst barometer of our progress. Mm -hmm. And BMI is also terrible. Oh, my goodness. But our doctors use. So I have a whole episode called BMI is BS. And that I, I think I published that one in 2019. And like since then, now I'm seeing that stuff all over. But Two things on that. Number one, I dug into where did that number even come from? Mm -hmm. Like, why is that what we're using? Long story short, it was originally designed to study populations over time, not individuals. Mm. And it was adopted by our doctors in lieu of educating them about how to have these conversations. Mm. Wow. Because it made it easy. Yeah. Inappropriate, but easy. (laughs) So (laughs) the number on the scale includes what? Your organs, your brain, your bones, your skin, water, blood, muscle, right? All Mm -hmm. of these things create the number on the scale and Mm -hmm. fat too, of course. Right. Okay. BMI is based on height and weight. A great BMI calculator might take into account your age. Mm -hmm. Somebody could be 5'7 and 180 pounds of muscle, Mm -hmm. or someone could be 5'7 and 180 pounds of fat. Mm -hmm. Their BMI is going to be exactly the same. Right. You know what's not? Their health outcomes, their energy, their sleep, how they handle stress. Yep how their mood is, right? So instead of, as we're looking to make progress, we want to use a tape measure, Mm -hmm. right? To actually have those inches, you know, or centimeters, (laughs) right? (laughs) We want to have the number on the scale and body fat percentage, not Mm -hmm. BMI, actual body fat percentage. And there are scales that you can purchase that will help measure that. Um, There's a handful of different ways. Obsess less about the way. Just use the same way every time. Yes. And focus on the change rather than the absolute number. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then as we're making progress, I want you on a daily basis to say scale of one to five. How's my energy? Mm-hmm. How's my sleep? How's my stress? How's my self-esteem? Mm-hmm. Those are the barometers that we want to use 
on a daily basis. Absolutely. And I, I like that. to do one to five on those because it's it tends to be easier. You know, one to five, where am I on my energy, my sleep, my stress, my self-esteem? Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm. And those are the things truly that amalgamate into, into lifestyle fulfillment, frankly. Right. And those those are truly are independent, obviously, of a person's weight and all those things. I, I just, I love that. I love that. We forget, I think, at least in my view of most of what I've experienced in the diet and wellness industry, we forget we're, we're really dealing with whole people, not parts of people, <laughs> not just right. the body parts of people. We're dealing with whole people, right? And so dealing with the whole people talks about the things that you just talked about, energy and stress and those sorts of things. And I love that. I love that way of looking at that differently. There's an approach to, we talk about it more in the context of pain management. Um, It's gaining more popularity in that space, but we call it the biopsychosocial approach, which is exactly what you're saying. Looking at the whole person, biobiology, psychopsychology, biopsychosocial, and where we started with Mm -hmm. the people we surround ourselves with Mm -hmm. and how we feel in connection with other people or not. Mm -hmm. And what those influences are and all those things. And if we start to, if we're looking to treat anything mm-hmm. or, or remedy anything or improve anything, if we aren't addressing it from a biopsychosocial approach, it's likely to fall short because everything is connected. I think Western medicine, you didn't ask this question, so stop me. No, but. you're good. Keep going. <laughs> okay. You're good. <laughs> Western medicine is amazing. You break, you break a leg. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right. We need treatment for something, you know, like an acute issue or a disease or an illness. I want nothing short of our best Western doctors. Yep. The challenges though, is that the Western medical system does a few things. One, it compares us to each other. Mm -hmm. Two, it silos the body into specialties, right? So we have one doctor who's looking at our heart, one doctor who's looking at our lungs, another doctor who might be looking at our thyroid. Mm -hmm. Everything in the body is connected. Just because you've been diagnosed with heart disease doesn't mean that your liver and your kidneys are fine. We get a diagnosis based on an organ system that failed first. Yep. It's all connected. So Eastern medicine doesn't compare us to each other or the average in air quotes, <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. Eastern medicine compares to biology and how the body was designed to work, mm-hmm. which creates a whole different set of numbers <laughs> to assess, sure. right? And tends to look at systems and the way things are connected in a different way than a lot of our Western medicine. And I also want to say, I love doctors. It's not even there. This is how they're taught. Right. And similar with the nutrition stuff and the weight management stuff, how could we expect any other outcome given the information, the tools that we had or that our parents had? Right. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's nobody's fault. It doesn't matter. We just have to, everybody at any given point is doing the best they can with the information that they have. Mm Mm-hmm. I think the, the thing, yes. And, um, I think the thing that, that I would encourage people to consider is taking greater ownership because knowledge is power. You can't unknow something. So now that you've heard what Jenna's just said, you can't unhear it. (laughs) Sorry to say. (laughs) And also I, I say that lightly, but I'm very serious when I say we have an opportunity as individuals to always take onus and, and ownership of our well-being, and not leave it in the hands of others. I'm not saying don't trust doctors. Don't trust people who are highly educated and qualified to give you information. What I am saying is know that you are more than the sum of your parts. You know, um, it's interesting because I went to a functional doctor recently who specializes 
in understanding what you've described, the systemic issues, the whole system that contributes to an outcome. And for the first time in my entire life, did I figure out something that solved a ton of issues? I was missing a particular um, hormone in my body. It was like gone. It wasn't even there. I took three months worth of a supplement and all these other things started working Yep, because I was missing something and no one even knew that I was missing it because they were looking at my symptoms rather than thinking, huh, maybe there's something wrong with the system. So yes, but it was because I took ownership. It was because I asked a question. I'm like, huh, well, if all these different specialists I've gone to can't find what's wrong, is there someone who can tell me how this whole thing is supposed to work in its entirety? And that's how I found the functional doctor. And here's also what you did is you trusted yourself enough to not accept those answers. Yes. And I think when we, and I see it all the time with diets, especially right. When we subscribe to all the rules, Mm -hmm. we stop paying attention because we think, no, like we're getting hunger signals, right? Right. But we were told to eat less. So I ignore you hunger. You're Mm -hmm. not there. Right. Right. Long-term we can stop responding to a hormone called leptin. Mm -hmm. So we stop paying attention because we're following the rules. We stop paying attention because somebody told us they can't find anything. Mm -hmm. If you're noticing something, it's real. Yes. Yes. It may not be the source you think it is, Mm -hmm. but if you're noticing something, it's real. And then we can say, okay, biopsychosocial, right? From all these perspectives, what could be contributing? Yes. And you know, it's interesting too. We can't unlearn something. At the same time, we also want to protect ourselves from shiny object syndrome. Yes. Meaning today, the news is going to tell us that broccoli causes cancer. Tomorrow, they're going to tell us the broccoli cures everything. Yep. What are we going to do? Right. <laughs> My objective in everything I do is to help people establish a foundation of facts and understanding and a little bit of approachable science, right? From which we can then evaluate all the information coming at us. Mm -hmm. Well, huh. Why is it that now they're developing drugs to help people overcome peanut allergies? Mm -hmm. But if we look at it years ago, peanut allergies weren't what they are now. Yeah. What did we do to the peanuts? Yes. But we're not having that conversation. Instead, everybody's saying, oh, you know, peanut allergies are a thing and like, or, you know, broccoli is going to cause cancer. Well, is it really? Mm -hmm. Because here's what I know about broccoli. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how can we evaluate the information coming at us from a foundation of knowledge that we feel confident in Mm -hmm. so that we're not swayed by every news story or Instagram post or whatever we see all around us? Because we get mixed messages in every area of our life. Yes. All the time, every day. Yes. I love that you use the word evaluate. I think there is definitely a tendency in certain groups of our society to swing one way or the other. Oh, everything is true or nothing is true. (laughs) Either everything is true or everything is a conspiracy. That's not factually correct. (laughs) Right. But having, like you said, awareness to at least get, I use the word curiosity, get curious about what you're being told. I don't think either Jen or I am saying, oh, question everything. We're not saying go all crazy. We're saying have an awareness to have at least honest healthy curiosity. Well, I've been following these rules for a long time and the results aren't what I expected. Maybe the rules aren't what I thought they were, or maybe I need to change something. Um, I think that's a really healthy way to approach things with, like you said, a fact-based foundation, science-based foundation in certain instances, and then an evaluation and assessment. And I do believe that many of us have been conditioned not to trust the fact that we are smart people, we do have experiences that contribute to our ability to make good decisions. And, and while we will always make mistakes because we are flawed human beings, we do have an onus to, to, to make those decisions with the best information possible. Um, yeah, somehow we forget that. And I'm not really sure how, but we do. So, wow, we could go another hour on this, but I'm looking at the plot going, <laughs> huh? So if people want to learn more about this, 
amazing work that you do and yes. the really great things that you talk about on your podcast. How can they get in touch with you? Yeah. So all social media, <laughs> at Jen Trepek, J-E-N-N. T-R-E-P-E-C-K. I am even on TikTok. Admittedly, it is not my, not my best platform. So <laughs> try me somewhere else, <laughs> but it's there. You'll find it. Uh, website, asaladwithasideoffries.com. Love Podcast, it. Salad with a Side of Fries. Wherever you're listening now, you will find us. Um, and I'm happy, we talked about this before. I'm happy to offer all of your listeners a complimentary discovery call. Mm, so Amy, will send you that link and you can throw in the show notes for everybody, but reach out. Like, I don't care how I would love nothing more than to hear like what resonated with you. What did you hate about what I said? Like what's sticking mm -hmm. with you? All those kinds of things. Oh, I love it. This has been so fun. And it really is one of those episodes where I looked at the clock going, holy cow, we are almost finished and we could have talked for so much longer. So oh my <laughs> we'll gosh. just have to do it again. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you, Amy. Oh, so as you get ready to hit stop on the episode today and you get ready to move on with your day, what's one action you can take? Today, I encourage you to get curious about your daily barometers. How are you measuring your success? Whether that's on a health saga, whether it's in other areas of your life, how are you measuring success? And before you finish today, at the very least, assess how your day went overall on a scale from one to five. How did you feel today overall? And then as you go into reflection, the ahas, the oh no's and the yippies, <laughs> the ahas are what did you learn today? The oh no's are what do you have more questions about or what things didn't sit well, as Jen said, and the yippies are what can you celebrate? Today, I want you to think about what makes you feel vibrant? What makes you feel your shiniest, your most radiant? And how can you do more of that in the days to come? <sighs> So that's it for this edition, friends. Continue the conversation. You can always find us at theencourageproject.com. You can find us on Instagram at the underscore encourage project. And you can always send me a note to hello at theencourageproject.com. As always, be safe, be well, and shine.